This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is equity. Equity mates, episode number 26. Uh, this is a podcast that breaks down the world of investing to make it easier for you guys. Uh, and as always, I'm joined here bright and early on a Saturday morning with my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going, mate? I'm very good, Bryce. Very glad to be with you on a Saturday morning and excited for this interview we're bringing everyone. This is our first international guest. Well, Toby Carlisle last week, he is living in America, but he is from Australia. So this is our first international guest that has no connection to Australia, (laughs) I guess you could say. Mir Statman was his name and he is a behavioral finance professor Amir Statman is the Glenn Klimek Professor of Finance at Santa Clara University over in the United States. Um, His research focuses on behavioral finance. He attempts to understand how investors and managers make financial decisions and how these decisions are reflected in financial markets. Uh, One of his most recent books is Finance for Normal People, How Investors and Markets Behave. And you've read that or parts of it, haven't you, Ren? Yeah, I um, started it for the interview. I haven't finished it yet, but it it was a good it was a good read from what I've read. So to give everyone the broader picture, Richard Thaler just won the Nobel Prize in Economics for his work in behavioral economics. And essentially what that has done is the traditional field of economics assumed everyone was rational and uh, consumers' choices were always made to maximize their utility which is usually maximise the amount of money they have. What Richard Thaler uh, and some other people, including uh, sort of Danny Kahneman and uh, Eamon Tversky, some of the work they did was recognise that people aren't always rational and don't always make the decisions that maximises their economic utility. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they, they applied psychology to economics and they've done some really interesting experiments and uh, two of them won Nobel Prizes for economics, Thaler and Kahneman. Um, Tversky probably would have as well, but you can't win a Nobel Prize post-humanist. 
posthumously <laughs> after you die, yes. however you say that word. Mia has taken a lot of that work that they've done on applying psych- psychology to economics and he's applied it to markets and to finance. And so he looks at how investors make decisions because traditional financial models and studies of finance have assumed that investors are always rational and will always make the decision to maximise their economic utility, i.e. make the most money in the market. But what Mia talks about um, and what his book is really good at explaining is that, in fact, there are a number of different drivers of investors' behaviour in the market. He applies these sort of psychological principles to investing. And so it's a good way to sort of check how you think, check your own biases. Uh, He gives some advice and some tips to analyze your own thinking and to uh, maybe make yourself a better investor. Just briefly before we kick into it, Ren, it'd be worth mentioning that we're getting into the final stages of our competition that we're running with Belmont Securities. Um, We've now got probably just over a week or so left running on that. And for those that are new to the pod, welcome. And if you are unaware or haven't entered yet, we are lucky enough to have partnered with Belmont Securities and they are giving one lucky listener the opportunity to win $500 to start their investing journey with them. So that gives you the opportunity to get 500 bucks in cash and then invest it through Belmont Securities in a secure, in an asset uh, stock that you would like. And who knows, it could be the beginning of a very successful investing journey. It's not limited to beginners uh if you already have a portfolio as well then belmont are more than happy to uh facilitate you in moving across to them and adding the 500 to your account so all you need to do is head across to www.equitymates.com forward slash win 500 uh you'll find it on our facebook page or twitter feed or yeah head to our website all you need to do is enter your details to win and we will be drawing that pretty soon so don't miss the opportunity um, yeah, and get in if you haven't already. And if uh, we're looking at rationality and irrationality in this interview, it would we would have to say it would be highly irrational not to take five minutes to uh, give yourself a chance to win five hundred dollars. Yeah, exactly. So maximize your economic utility. Jump online and enter the competition today. Yeah, great sell. <laughs> yeah. Without further ado, um, here's me Statman on behavioral finance. In, in a video we saw of you, you thought that it was ridiculous that people in finance thought financial products were unique and different to products like roses and watches. To the beginner investor, this seems like there is a stark difference between these two, but can you elaborate on what you mean by this? Yes. So when you think about roses, roses have no utilitarian benefits. Uh, you cannot eat them. You cannot drink them. Uh, your uh, beloved cannot eat or drink them. Uh, but of course, roses have a lot of expressive and emotional benefits. Uh, with a rose, you say to your beloved, I love you. Uh, with a rose, you say, I am a thoughtful man. You'll do well to marry me. Now, when you think about watches, uh, again, like all products, it has utilitarian, expressive, and emotional benefits. Of course, unlike roses, watches have utilitarian benefits. They show you the time, but a $10 watch shows you the same time as a $100 
$100,000 watch. So why is it that people buy $100,000 watches? They're not uh, are stupid, they're not irrational. They uh, are using that uh, to uh, enjoy the expressive benefits of that they can afford to buy an expensive watch, impress others perhaps, uh, and that uh, pride they have in themselves being able to have earned enough money to buy those kinds of watches. Well, the same applies to, to securities, uh, to stocks, to bonds, to other investments. They have utilitarian benefits. If we save money and invest it in stocks or bonds, we'll have money to spend in retirement. But think also of the expressive and emotional they give you today, not just in retirement. Uh, today, when you are 25 or 26, uh, you have that a sense of security, of well-being, that you will have money to retire on, uh, that you're on your way, that you'll have uh, money if you want to uh, get married and, and buy a place to live, and, and so on. And so... There are many insights that we lose when we think about financial products and services as being entirely unique and unlike roses or watches. Your field of study is behavioral finance. Many listeners will know that Richard Thaler just won the Nobel Prize for Economics for his work on behavioral economics. Is behavioral finance uh, similar and an offshoot of this work or is it something completely different? Oh, it is, it is not an offshoot. It really developed in parallel to behavioral finance. Uh, I was um, introduced to the topic uh, by, by my colleague and friend, Hirsch Sheffrin, and Hirsch uh, worked uh, with Thaler when they were both at the University of Rochester. And so the difference between economics and financial economics is that financial economic, of course, focuses on issues that relate to financial choices, uh, whereas economics uh, is broader than that. It can apply to issues such as uh, labor economics uh, or health economics and so on. So they, they developed in parallel. My own interest is, of course, in the financial economics and behavioral finance is my thing. I, um, I was reading your book, uh, Finance for Normal People, and you, you talked about how you're part of the second wave of behavioral finance. And I found that really interesting, the change that has happened. So can you explain what, what happened between the first wave and the second wave? Yes, I think that the notion of, of the second wave or the second generation of behavioral finance is not uh, uh, well accepted now. It is really something that I try to promote. And my uh, sense is, that with behavioral economics and finance, we moved away from rational people uh, who consider, for example, only utilitarian benefits of uh, investments uh, and not expressive and emotional ones. We, we moved uh, to describe people as irrational, people who are uh, not only are not computer-like as in the rational people of standard finance, but they are people who are erratic, stupid, uh, uh, and if they make mistakes, they may make those uh, mistakes, cognitive and emotional 
mistakes, they, they make them uh, persistently, consistently. I think that we have missed the people in the middle, people like me, people like you, people like your listeners, people who are normal. Normal people are not stupid. Normal people are generally smart. Uh, but sometimes we are stupid. Normal people are generally knowledgeable, but sometimes we are ignorant, but we can convert ourselves into knowledgeable and smart people uh, when, we, when we learn. And so what is important in the second generation of behavioral finance is to begin with what it is that people want before we conclude that their actions are irrational or stupid. For example, if you think of people who trade a lot, uh, one reason they trade is because they are stupid, they are ignorant, <laughs> they know that, that the more you trade, the more likely you are going to lose. Uh, another is that very much like video games, some people just enjoy the activity of trading. And so it is important to educate people and say, listen, Trading is going to cost you money, but then golf is going to cost you money too. Are you sure that you are getting enjoyment out of trading? If the answer is yes, you know how much it costs you. Suppose that you tell them that it's going to cost them $5,000 a year. And if they say, fine, that's worth it. You know, I pay more for golf, then, then fine. But, but if it is ignorant that got them into it, then, uh, of course, we hope that they're going to learn and stop being stupid. Given your background, um, you might be best placed to answer the age-old question for us then. Are markets efficient? <laughs> well, okay, so, so the, the answer, unfortunately, is not in, in, in one sentence. But, but if, if I had to say one sentence, is that for individual investors, it is useful to think about the market as being efficient, period. What it means for, for me and for you and for your listeners is don't try to beat the market. Stay away from any advice that says, pick these stocks or those, pick this active mutual fund or that, because you're going to be at the losing end. And when I say losing end, I'm not suggesting that people will actually lose money, but rather they will come behind people who just put their money in index fund and just buy and hold and eventually use the money for, for retirement or to buy a house or whatever it is for. And so the, the answer for, for people like us, meaning individuals, amateur, is to, to stay away from attempts to beat the market. That is, you have to understand the ecology of the, the markets. Uh, there are predators and there are prey. Uh, the predators are professionals. They have unique information that is not available to you. It is not something that you will read in the newspaper or hear on television. Uh, they have a deep understanding of the industry they're covering and so on. Uh, and they trade with people who are, in fact, the prey. And, and remember, in every trade, there is an idiot. And if you don't know who it is, uh, <laughs> you ask yourself, whenever you are about to trade, who is the idiot on the other side of the trade? Or uh, using another analogy, realize that trading is like 
playing tennis, not against the wall, but against an opponent on the other side who you've never met before and you don't recognize and you don't know the skills of. And so it might well be Djokovic on the other side <laughs> and your chances winning are not 50-50. I get into a game when it is not just for fun. Uh, let's say that, that it is $100,000 that go from the loser to the winner. Well, it's very clear that you are going to be losing that money. And unless it is worth for you $100,000 to play with Djokovic or lose to Djokovic, don't do it. It would be a it would be a great tennis game. It would probably be over very quickly if I was playing though. <laughs> it's interesting that you you talk about that how investors don't they think about competing against the market rather than competing against the trader on the other side of that trade. And in your book, you talk about how that's a framing error, and that's a very common sort of cognitive bias that a lot of uh, investors and traders have. From from your studies and your research. What's one thing that you think more investors should understand? Or what's a common thing that a lot of investors are currently getting wrong? Well, so people know that they have to save money. People know that they have to calibrate their spending. Uh, it is really on the investment side that people tend to make mistakes. And, and those mistakes begin, for example, not understanding the proper analogy between trading and say say playing tennis against a wall or or against an opponent on the other side and so the first thing is to is to recognize the kinds of cognitive errors that you are likely to encounter and even before that to know that the investment part is really very very simple uh if you follow me, and frankly, if you follow academic uh, uh, economists, uh, they will tell you it's very easy. First, you you stay away from individual stocks or bonds. Second, you stay away from any active fund, any fund that promises to beat the market. Uh, so you are left with index funds. Among them, choose only the very well diversified funds uh, that have for Americans, they have, have American stocks, a total stock market. <clears throat> for Australians, uh, the equivalent uh, of Australian funds. And then, and then have an international fund. My international fund includes Australian stocks. Yours uh, is likely to include American stocks, and that is fine. And so in, in this sense, you already have with, with two funds with the lowest cost, and mine are in the range of four basis points or six basis points. You cover stocks and there are index funds for bonds as well. And that is it. You know, that is it. And, and so the rest of it really is, is to understand the kind of temptations and misperceptions and errors that get in the way and how to avoid them. Can you give us an example of some of those cognitive errors that we may come across? Well... One I mentioned before, we talked about it, is, is, is framing. Uh, so you have to get the framing right, again, as tennis against a, an opponent on the other side. Now, another one is, is overconfidence. That is, even people who understand that they're playing tennis against somebody on the other side are really overconfident in their ability to beat uh, their opponent. Uh, so they look at their opponent and, and, and he or she looks uh, kind of uh, weak and inexperienced and they say, this is no big deal. 
but of course, uh, they might uh, be be wrong. Um, another one is is hindsight. That is, people look back, for example, at a stock that has done really well, or a mutual fund, the money manager has done very well. And they say, I just knew it. I just knew it. And people look uh, back at 2007 and they say, I just had a hunch in 2007, it is time to get out of the market. But if you ask them to write in permanent ink their hunches about the future, uh, you will find that their knowledge is zero. Not only are individual investors have zero foresight, professionals have zero foresight. It's embarrassing to see what Wall Street strategists forecasted in 2007 about what will happen in 2008. They had no clue. And so don't try to time the market. Don't uh, not only don't have hunches, but also stay away from this notion that you're going to be a contrarian. Because in, in every market, half the people think it's going to go up and half the people think it's going to go down. Nobody, it, you'll never have a situation where everybody is exuberant or everybody is fearful. And so the thing really is to control your own exuberance and your own fear that is going to drive you out of, of the market or into the market uh, injuring yourself. Just be steady. Yeah, it's good advice. I guess it's, it's a lot easier said than done. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. So from your study of traders and of markets, have you seen um, or have you got any advice for our listeners on how they can sort of recognize and overcome those cognitive biases? Well, remember, I'm no smarter than you or your listeners, and, and I've learned Debatable. That. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, it is, it is a matter of, of learning. And so first, you know, I don't really have to understand precisely what goes on inside my body to know that it is better to have my food mostly... Uh, in fruits and vegetables rather than in uh, steaks and and bread. Um, I trust uh, experts who know that, and I take just the rule, and I try to uh, minimize sweets and uh, and maximize uh, fruits and, and vegetables. The same applies in investments. Uh, you don't have to understand the intricacies 
of stocks and bonds. In fact, this really is the one of the most misleading legends, uh, lies that, that you hear. First, I have to understand how stocks are and bonds are blah, blah, nonsense, okay? All you need to do is to follow the recipe, to follow the prescription very much like you follow a physician's prescription. And I gave you that pres prescription before. Now, if you want to delve deeper into it and understand why something that is so obvious is so difficult for people to grasp, then you get into the questions of cognitive and emotional errors. Uh, and so if you need to understand that, that uh, can help you in times of crisis. That, that is, if uh, when you are afraid and you want to sell all your stocks, uh, if you just pause and ask yourself, who is the idiot on the other side of the trade, uh, then perhaps it will stop you from doing something uh, rash. Uh, and so in this sense, it is useful. But in terms of what you should do, simple is best. If we can go back to something else that you touched on earlier in the interview and something that you write about in your book, you talk about the three different types of sort of benefits you get from investments. So utilitarian, expressive, and emotional. Um, and I thought it was interesting that this week we saw a Leonardo da Vinci painting go for $450 million. So there was, there was clearly a lot of expressive and emotional benefits in that price, you would imagine. Can, can you just uh, step through what, what each of those are and maybe how we as you know, individual investors can sort of watch for you know what what's actually motivating us and and you know try and correct for that. Sure. First, I have to disclose that I'm not the buyer. <laughs> Second, uh, think about what money is for. Many times we we just uh, say, well, we are in the business of getting the most money. If you ask investors, uh, what do you want from your investments, they will say profits. But what are profits for? Uh, well. Uh, think about it. Profits are, or money is for, to prevent you from being poor. And so, and so uh, it gives you not being poor has utilitarian, expressive, and emotional benefits. Not being poor means that you don't have to uh, put back some items that you just put on the uh, counter at the supermarket because you cannot uh, afford them. Uh, it means that you have the peace of mind that uh, you will not have to be dependent on your children. And so you have the pride that comes in being financially independent, able to help your kids rather than uh, be helped by them. And, and that sense of, of expressing yourself as somebody who is a somebody, who is, who is, who is not a somebody who is in the gutter. Uh, we also want uh, to be rich uh, and uh, and hope for riches. Of course, uh, you know, we buy lottery tickets and lottery tickets have minuscule utilitarian benefits. You know, people in finance will tell you that, that uh, it is stupid to buy a lottery ticket. And yet I bought lottery tickets and uh, you might have and, and many of your of your listeners have. And there's nothing stupid about it unless you put big chunks of your money in it because a lottery ticket uh, gives you expressive benefits of being a player with a chance of winning. 
It gives you the emotional benefits of hope of winning. And of course, you have that minuscule chance of actually winning and having the utilitarian benefit of all of that money. After all, somebody wins. And why, why couldn't it be uh, you? And so uh, what, what you need to do is really figure out what it is that you want and then go about it in a knowledgeable and smart way. That is, uh, if you buy a lottery ticket uh, for, for a dollar or five every uh, so often, uh, it gives you hope for an entire week before you find out that you lost again. And that is okay, but of course you don't want to overdo it. Uh, the same thing, you know, that is what, what else is money for? Well, it is for raising kids. Uh, for some people it is uh, for status, you know, this is what hedge funds are for. You can brag about your riches without appearing to brag. Some people uh, want to express their values, their social responsibility through, through investments. And so these are some of many wants that can be uh, satisfied. And all of those carry utilitarian, expressive and emotional benefits. So let's just go back. Can you just give us a bit of an idea? Have you always been interested in, in this field of research? You know, what got you interested in, in researching the markets and, and the behavior of, of investors? Um, and, and where did it all start? Well, like all people, uh, as you grow up, as when you're a kid, you're trying to make sense of behavior, uh, your own behavior and the behavior of others. Uh, what elicits uh, admiration? Uh, what elicits rebuke, what makes uh, you tick and what makes other people tick. Uh, for me, uh, the, the interest um, at some point as I, was, as I was doing my high school work and as I was uh, later on uh, serving in the army, uh, I got exposed to, to economics and, and found uh, that fascinating. And so I took economics and statistics as, as my majors at the university. And I could see that while I followed the norm of, of working with models of rational people and so on, that this, that this really had some, some major flaws in the sense that it did not have uh, much fidelity to what people actually do. Now, one, one anecdote is that uh, of course, Daniel Kahneman and Amos Tversky are really laid the foundation for behavioral economics and finance. And when I was a student at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem studying in one building, they were in the adjacent building doing their work. And I had no idea anything about their work. I, I would step into this building from time to time to participate in experiments to earn some pocket money as students do. But I had no idea of what they're doing. It tells you something about the distance between economics and psychology at that time. But, but once I uh, got to know their work, my eyes opened because I could see that, that they offer the bridge uh, and they offer the way to, to really reconcile contradictions between theory and evidence. You know, theory says people don't care about dividends. Evidence says they care about it a lot. So why? And, and this really is 
is how things develop. And once you, you see that, you see stuff all around you. In fact, uh, I serve as my own laboratory, that is, I observe my own behavior, and I find it funny in the sense that it's not rational, but then I try to make sense of it, and I try to see whether this is just me or whether this is common to people more generally. When you were at university and uh, Kahneman and Traversky were there, did, did you get to work with them at all? Or, and no, no, no okay. <laughs> nothing about them. I knew absolutely nothing about them. I didn't know their names. Oh, really? It, it, it was, it, 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 it's, it's just, just uh, inconceivable now how much distance there was between economics and psychology at the time. Uh, and so th there were things knowing it to me that is I, I could, uh, you know, I remember a class in sociology where, where I, the topic, uh, one of the topics was about status seeking. Uh, and I found it really fascinating. I could see how it relates to money. In fact, uh, one, one of those examples had to do with paintings. That, that is, why is it that somebody is going to pay millions for a painting uh, when a $20 poster is going to cover the same portion of the wall uh, and, perhaps, and perhaps more. Uh, in fact, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I painted a few paintings, you know, with, with many colors and straight lines, and I use it uh, as an illustration to say, you know, a painting is, is to bring some life to, to a room and be, be enjoyable. But of course, a painting is also about a status. And so if I step into a room of, of a money manager, and I did, and, and see a, a Picasso on the wall, and I know that that money manager must have made a good amount of money. How he did that? Well, probably found enough idiots that would invest with him. <laughs> I, but he shows he shows to himself and he shows to his guests uh, how successful he has been. And I understand it. You know, I find it ludicrous, but I understand it. But actually, I don't even find it ludicrous because I have on my wall some paintings that I paid several thousands, not very many thousands, but several thousands of dollars. And that is... Uh, uh, and, and the same can be applied to me. That is, why didn't you just buy a $20 poster? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I find that really fascinating how you, you, when you started your academic career, psychology and uh, finance and economics were so separate and, and you've seen them combined. Was there a lot of resistance um, at first when these ideas of psychology were starting to be applied to markets and to investors? <laughs> Yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> we, were, we were not physically assaulted, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, pretty close to that. That is, um, uh, Hersh Efren and I had, had really a, a, uh, the first paper on behavioral finance uh, before it was called behavioral finance in a top journal. Uh, published in 1984, and uh, and only uh, in the years since I have learned the kinds of struggles that went on. The 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 reviewer was somebody who is very very well known. I don't really want to mention the name, and and he and he uh, praised it uh, so 
uh, much that, that the editors found it, it impossible to turn it down. But, but I, I later heard that a, a number of people uh, protested and said that, that if uh, that journal publishes this paper, they will never ever submit a paper to this journal. Uh, in fact, uh, when uh, in 1985, there was a conference at the University of Chicago, a kind of pitting standard and, and behavioral, and, and Merton Miller, a Nobel Prize winner, uh, really, uh, his paper was was a direct attempt to repudiate uh, our uh, not just that particular paper that I mentioned, but but this entire entire field. Uh, and and another famous person called uh, called behavioral economics and finance the twilight zone. So so we we had we had that, and and you know of course. Um, even then, uh, it was a badge of honor that, that of course, it, it means that we are not just adding uh, a brick to a wall that is already there, uh, that we are building uh, another kind of wall, a wall that really serves a purpose that is not being served before. The follow-up to that has to be, is in that intervening period, Richard Thaler's won a Nobel Prize and uh, Danny Kahneman's won a Nobel Prize. Do you still see the resistance to, uh, to these ideas and applying psychology to markets and investing? Some. You know, some people in, in academia in a, a still, still resist it. But it is really fading. You know, they say that science develops funeral by funeral. Uh, there are there are people who will never change, and so you just you just pass them by. But but today uh, there will not be be an issue when you submit a paper on behavioral finance to to any journal, top or middling. It is just going to be judged uh, as any other paper based on the evidence. And if it is persuasive, it will be accepted and published. So Mir, since, sort of since you began your research in, until now, the ad, advance in technology has been significant and it's allowing access to the markets uh, for you know our, our generation, particularly an easier way of doing so. And there's also a big shift happening towards sort of passive forms of investing. And so I'm, I'm just wondering if you're starting to see new behavioral trends emerge that previously either didn't exist or were unrecognized. And are there sort of cognitive biases that are particular for certain age groups and identifiable for certain age groups or are they applied across the board? Well, you know, technology is a wonderful thing. And of course, you can use it for good or for ill. Uh, and so if people use technology to trade more, uh, individual investors, that is bad. Uh, that is giving them a gun so they can shoot themselves. Uh, and so you have to be really careful with that. That is in the old days, one had to call the broker and talk with the broker and place the order and 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 so on uh, today you can just click and and your order is executed and then you feel like selling it uh, and and buying something else and you can do that uh, a second later so that is a, a danger um, some of the so but but you can use it uh, well that that is the cost for example 
of, uh, of funds, the cost of index funds, for example, uh, has come down a lot since the, uh, say, the 80s and the, and the 90s. Now it is, it is almost free when you pay three or four basis points a year. Uh, that is that is free, and so it is really important for you to understand uh, the nature of the game. Uh, there are high-frequency traders. They use technology very much. They trade really, really fast. They make money. Uh, who do you think are the people on the other side who are trading against them? Idiots. People who think that they can beat the fastest runners, even though they can hardly run uh, 100 yards in a minute, you know. So, so it is it is important for people to understand, again, that that technology means that you have better technology, but they have better technology as well. And so, don't think that technology is giving you an advantage unless you figure out that it does not give an advantage to the people on the other side use technology to, again, pick uh, index funds, diversify, and, and buy and hold until you actually need the money. Mm. I, I guess a key trend that we've seen with uh, the advances in technology recently has been the massive advances in algorith algorithmic and quantitative trading. Do you, now, obviously, computers aren't subject to the same cognitive bias as humans are, so do you think that, um, that these algorithms and quant traders will win out over human traders in the long term just because they will always be perfectly rational and always maximize their utilitarian benefit? Well, remember that, that behind those uh, algorithms, there are people. Uh, and those people are trying to make uh, the most money. They're trying to beat the market. And so, uh, and so the, the fact is that... that Yes, those algorithms are getting faster, uh, but then there are contrary algorithms as well. In other words, uh, imagine that there are no people involved. It is just one computer uh, competing against another computer. Well, one computer is going to be slower. One computer is going to have an algorithm that is not as good. And so that person, that the computer is going to lose, or rather that person behind that computer is going to lose. And so uh, the the issue, you know, technology, again, you know, if, 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 you, if you think about, about surgery, technology developing in surgery means that, say, now a... a 95% of people who undergo heart surgery get better, whereas before it might have been 70%. But, but that is because the human body, of course, is not trying to compete with a surgeon and move the heart from left to right, just to spite the surgeon. <laughs> uh, but, but the analogy of the surgeon does not apply to, to markets again, because you always are competing against somebody on the other side, it is the equivalent of your body moving the heart from, from left to right. And so in this particular case, technology does not give you an edge. Staying on the theme of technology, based on all the experience and research you've done, what is this? The, is Bitcoin doing to our human <laughs> behavior and rationality? Like, can you, can you tell us what your read on all of this is? Well, you know, uh, 
if, if somebody asks me, uh, so what is the fundamental value of a Bitcoin? Well, there's no fundamental value. It is, it is simply a creation out of nothing. It is really a pure bet. Uh, the technology underlying it eventually is going to be very, very useful in transfers of money and banks are going to be very, very uh, good users of it. Uh, and we'll all benefit. But the speculation in buying it or selling it is is madness. Uh, and it does not mean that people who buy it for $5,000 will not be able to sell it for $10,000. It is like, like moving a lighted a match from finger to finger. Eventually, it is going to burn somebody. So do you, are you noticing any uh, sort of massive cognitive biases in in this Bitcoin trading or is it is it you know like a herd mentality that that everyone is sort of piling in just because everyone else is or, or what what are we seeing here <laughs> well you know when when you when you look at people who who are just new to it uh, they don't understand for example the the analogy of tennis in in trading uh, they they it's fine it is new it is exciting uh, you know, I was talking with with uh, with an undergraduate student who is very much into it, uh, and uh, and so he he has no idea uh, about it other than that it has gone up and he bought it and God helped and it went up further. I don't know; it might have gone down since, uh, but but it is it is kind of the sense that. Uh, it's a game, and it's a game of skill. And if you know when to get in and when to get out, you're going to make a pile of money. Uh, and the thing really is that that many times people do really stupid things, and and eventually succeed. And that is kind of discouraging, you know. That that is, uh, if you if you want to turn right and you turn the wheel uh, left. Uh, you're going to get yourself into an accident. Mm. But sometimes you buy Bitcoin, which is a stupid thing to do, and then you get to a triple and quadruple your money. And of course, people are going to say that's because I'm smart. And I say that's because you're lucky. Yeah. Are you in on the Bitcoin? <laughs> no, no, no it, is, it, is, it is really, yeah, I, 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 I stay away from those lighted matches. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I read an article that you wrote in the Wall Street Journal about financial literacy. And one thing uh, particularly jumped out at me, you talked about the informational asymmetry between professional traders and non-professional traders. And you said because of this asymmetry, non-professional traders will always lose. So does this mean that we just shouldn't bother investing ourselves? Well, again, uh, it, is not, it is not a matter of not investing. Uh, it is a matter of protecting yourself uh, as, you, as you go into this jungle that we call financial markets. That is, you can protect yourself. Uh, very easily, I'm sorry to repeat myself, by buying index funds and <laughs> them alone. Uh, and that is it. But, but, but you have to, to realize that every time you step into the market uh, to, to trade, to switch, because you think that, that this stock or that stock or that market is going to do better than the other, it really is equivalent of the gazelle uh, wandering into the hunting ground of the lion, uh, and and so uh, 
gazelles, of course, are smart enough to stay away from the from the lion. Uh, and uh, and I think that uh, if investors learn the same thing, uh, they can munch on the grass, they can get pretty good returns from index funds without uh, becoming the prey of the lions of the market. We like to uh, end our interviews with uh, three questions that we ask all of our guests. But before we do so, we also just like to give you the opportunity to tell our listeners where they can find you on any social media or if they want to look further into your work, do you have uh, any books or um, I know you write for the Wall Street Journal. So if you just want to uh, give our listeners somewhere where they can find more about you. Well, of course, the book, uh, my recent book that you mentioned uh, is Finance for Normal People. It was published recently by Oxford University Press. It is not a book of advice about buying this or buying that, but it is one that will, I think, guide people right and uh, open their eyes as to the kinds of pitfalls they are likely to find in markets and and how to avoid them. Uh, If uh, people put my name uh, in uh, Google or another search engine, the first item that should come is my website at University, and so you can you can get that, and you can then follow uh, by looking at what uh, what has been mentioned uh, the last week or the last month. Uh, you will get a sense of the new work that I am uh, putting out. I've started reading your book, uh, Finance for Normal People, and I, I can attest it's um it's fascinating to read, and I definitely see some of the cognitive errors in my own thinking. So it's, uh, it's been eye-opening for me. Well, the first question of our final three is what book or books do you consider must read? Well, let me do it in the negative. Don't buy any investment book. That is <laughs> okay. <a damn>. <laughs> anything that, that purports to offer you a way to beat the market, you know, trading strategies, options, futures, uh, and so on. Stay away from it like the plague. So in a way, what you need to do, again, I'm repeating myself, is, is follow the rules of investing in well-diversified portfolio of, of index fund. And if you want to understand why such simple lessons take so long to get through to people, uh, then you can read my book. <laughs> so do you have a go-to source for investing or financial information? How do you how do you like to keep on top of uh, and abreast of um, the world of finance? Well, you know, I read I read the New York Times. I read the business section. Uh, you cannot really avoid uh, hearing where the market has gone uh, today uh, and, uh, and even opinions about where it is going to go tomorrow. Now, you know, of course, I have direct interest in it because if the market goes up, it means that I am... Uh, richer, and if it goes down, it means that I am poorer, and of course that that matters to me. But I know that that it is luck that moves it up, and luck in terms of my abilities. Uh, that is, it is all in the hand in the hands of of the god of the market moving things uh, up up or down. Uh, so I I uh, keep myself, of course, informed about financial 
issues, but I do that really as a professor of finance, as somebody who is deeply interested in those issues, rather than as an investor who is trying to figure out what investment to choose next. All right. Now, last question of our final three. What advice, now this can be investing or otherwise, would you give your younger self when you were just starting out as an investor and a research in behavior, researcher in behavioral finance? Well, you know, uh, you have to learn to forgive yourself. That, that is, as you begin, whether it is riding a bike or investing, you're going to make some mistakes and you're going to bruise some ankles. Uh, and so uh, you have to forgive yourself, uh, but, but you have to learn as fast as you can uh, to avoid uh, those kinds of mistakes. And so uh, I know it's tempting to, to listen to somebody who says that there is a surefire way to, to triple your money at all. But you have to remember that, that the cliche advice is good. That is, save, first of all, invest in yourself, get education, get a job uh, that, that is, is right for you. Save some of the money that, that you earn, uh, but don't become a... Uh, stingy and uh, and you know just just uh, just do the, the usual stuff. Uh, f- find find the spouse <laughs> who is going to be, going to be you know like 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 my wife and me. We, we are going to be uh, celebrating in two years. We are going to be celebrating our 50th anniversary and uh, and you know just just let all the other things uh, just slide, uh, leaving them leaving them alone. You know, the, your your listeners, of course, are young, but old people have a problem not of saving, but learning to spend the amount that they have saved because they've become so enamored with saving and so used to saving that they forget that money is there to enjoy. Fantastic. That's some really good advice. We'll, we'll wrap up there, Amir, and we really appreciate you coming on. I mean, the, one of the big underlying takeaways for me out of this whole interview was, you know, buy paintings and bitcoins. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, happy, I'm happy you can summarize it. Well. <laughs> no, look, it was really good. Some great advice there on protecting yourself and, and um, not trying to beat the market. Um, you know, we're not sure if you're playing Djokovic on the other side of the court, the likelihood of winning is uh, very low, especially for, for me and Alec anyway, and I'm sure for our listeners. So, um, we really appreciate you coming and, and giving us your time. And yeah, we've been following you on on, on the Wall Street Journal, and and uh, you've definitely got some great uh, ideas to contribute and help us on our investing journey. So once again, really appreciate it, and um, thanks for coming on. Thanks to both of you. It was enjoyable for me as well. Equity mates and the people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. This is general advice only please speak to a financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your individual situation. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.